Uh, very good morning to you. It's great to see you here this morning. If you feel at all cold during my talk, do shake a bit, stand up and do a turnaround. Perhaps you all need to do that now. Maybe stand and just do a 360, just moving your body. I've just had to do a run. Just turn around, move your body. Well done. Thank you, Emily. Stretch out your hands. Great. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 7, starting at verse 36. Lord, we welcome your presence in this place. We give you the glory and the praise. Come, abide with us. Let us remain in you and abide in you. Speak to us when I'm speaking, Lord. Draw near to each and every single one of us. Let us hear your voice, your heartbeat. We give you thanks and the glory, Lord. Amen. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. There were two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Who is he? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. As Neil said last week, as we turn into a new year, we want to start the new year as we mean to go on. And this week, as we have done for many, many years, marks the start of prayer week. A week when we, as the church, very intentionally slow down and pause and make time and space to turn our attention to Jesus. And so today, we mark the start of our week of prayer. And I want us to look at how these verses from Luke might help us as we give ourselves to prayer over the coming days. Now, as we all know, there are many, many different kinds of prayer. There's intercessory prayer, there's ministry prayer, there's persistent prayer, there's revival prayer, daily prayer, and spontaneous prayer. The list goes on. But this morning, I want to turn our attention to contemplative prayer, quiet prayer, silent prayer, the kind of prayer whereby we sit in the presence of God. We sit with him and enjoy just being with God, being with him, and that's what changes us. The kind of prayer summed up in 46, when the psalmist says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Perhaps two of the most wonderful things that come from the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sending of his Holy Spirit to make his home in us and empower us and equip us for everyday life. Two of the most wonderful things for me our salvation and sanctification. The two theological words, salvation, that moment of coming to know Christ for the first time, which for me, incredibly so, was in this church about 30 years ago. And then sanctification, getting to know Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, which for me is still very much in progress. Salvation, the gift of being set free from our past and our sin and our pain. And sanctification, the gift of living freely and going on the adventure of freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus sets us free by the gift of grace on the cross. And what was it for? It was for freedom. It was that we might live freely, to actually be free, and to grow in our freedom, to become all that God created us to be. The Christian life is essentially all about miracle and maturity. The miracle of salvation and the maturity that comes from the gift of redemption through sanctification, as we allow the life of Christ and the Spirit of God to flow deeper in us and to fill us and flood us with his presence as we become more fully mature in Christ and more free. 
salvation and sanctification, miracle and maturity. And this way of praying that we're looking at today, contemplative prayer, for me is critical to the latter. This quiet, contemplative prayer is going to be so essential if we want to grow, if we want to grow up, if we want to go deeper, if we want to experience the fullness of the gift of salvation given to us in Christ that he has won for us. But there's always a but. I don't know about you, but it's almost as if there's some kind of conspiracy to work at work in the age of which we find ourselves, where everything is conspiring to stop us from getting anywhere close to some kind of quiet or contemplative spiritual life. There are so many things that pull us and distract us from just sitting in the stillness of God's presence, stopping us from becoming more mature, stopping us from going deeper into him, stopping us from experiencing the fullness of the freedom that is ours in him. Of course, the enemy is at large working hard to stop anyone coming, in, coming to faith in Jesus, doing all he can to stop people receiving the free gift of salvation. But it's also the case that the enemy is conspiring to limit the work of sanctification by keeping followers of Jesus immature in faith, keeping us in the shallows, keeping us unchanged and unsure. There is a whole host of factors that seem to be working together to stop us going deeper in Jesus and becoming more like Christ. And as we said last week, and as we've said many times over the past few years, at the heart of that conspiracy is distraction, busyness, and hurry. And one of the key tools in our toolbox as to how we push back against that is contemplative prayer. And so this is absolutely critical. It's like a muscle we've got to learn to grow, to develop. It's a practice that we all need. We need to practice if we want to experience anything of that fullness of the life of Christ in our lives. But we're all so busy. We're all so distracted. We're all so overcommitted. It's hard for many of us to take the time just even to slow down, let alone to stop even for a minute. Last week, Neil read out this quote, and as it's so relevant to what we're looking at today, I thought we could do with reading it again. Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to simply to have an interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are the major blocks today within our spiritual lives. There are all these things, many of them really, really good things when used rightly, but when used incorrectly and distracting us from the things that matter and are keeping us in, inattentive, inattentive to Jesus, keeping us in the shallows, 
and missing out on so much of the adventure of life. We're under so much pressure all the time to feel that we have got to get from this to this to this. What's next? To keep up with the message and answer the email or text or whatever, to get all those things done. And now we can have all to-do lists on our phones and they just ping when I need to have something done by ping. Everything just pings. Our phones, our emails, our texts, WhatsApp, on and on. There is a war being waged for our attention. Our attention is constantly being fought over, whether that's through what we watch or how we use social media or how many times we check our phones. And the battleground for this fight is what are we giving our attention to? Dallas Willard said, hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. And what he means by that is busyness and distraction are the greatest enemies. And we must ruthlessly eliminate them from our lives. Richard Foster wrote, in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will, not, he will rest satisfied. So what is the way forward? How do we wage war against the culture in which we find ourselves? How do we fight for our spiritual lives and that freedom and that fullness that Jesus gave up his life that we might have? Well, a very good place to start is found here in this very much loved quote that if you've been here for more than five minutes, you will have heard Neil reference many, many times. And it is, of course, our good friend, and I don't know what we would have done without him, Eugene Peterson, who says this, worship is the way in which we interrupt we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty. Worship is the time and place that we assign for a deliberate attentiveness to God, not because he's confined to time and place, not because of our self-importance, is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all, at other times and other places. Worship, worship, worship is the time and the place that we assigned for deliberate and attentiveness to God. And worship includes Things like sung worship, like we've just done. Worship in our own, at home or wherever. But it also includes prayer of all kinds and ministry of all kinds and so many things of great richness. The essential component to what makes it worship is that interruption of our focus and our attention so that we might attend to the presence of God. 
that we get to attend to the presence of God. That together we stand shoulder to shoulder and be in the presence of God. The key ingredient to what makes something worship is that time and space that we create for deliberate attentiveness to God. And contemplative prayer is just that time and space that we carve out of our daily routines and interruption of our preoccupation with ourselves and our busyness and, do, and our to-do list so that instead we might attend to the Lord. And going back to our gospel story from Luke, the woman, the beautiful woman anointing Jesus who may have been Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, is doing just that. And as we set off on the adventure of the week of prayer, let's remember the woman and the alabaster jar filled with fragrance that was so valuable, so precious, that it cost a year's wages. And then let's think of what might be our own alabaster jar. And perhaps for us, the thing that would cost us the same is our time. Perhaps our modern-day alabaster jar is our attention. Setting everything else aside, our phones, our schedules, our to-do lists, our busyness, and interrupting our preoccupation with the need to get things done, instead just slowing down, stopping, not doing anything, not interceding, not listening to a podcast, just sitting in the quiet, in the stillness of God's presence and giving him the gift of our time and our attention as we metaphorically pour that sweet fragrance of our sacrifice at his feet. And in that place of stillness and quiet and rest, as we give Jesus the gift of our attentiveness and time in his mercy and grace, he gives us the gift of our salvation and sanctification. Not only are we reminded of all that he has done, all that he has done for us in and through his death on the cross, but at the same time we begin to plumb the depths of his presence as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into him. We grow into him into his likeness, we become more like Christ. One writer puts it like this, the quiet place is not to be shunned as empty space, but to be friended as fertile ground for intimacy with God. Over this week, And over this coming year and the years to come, we're inviting us all to take time in the quiet place of contemplative prayer. Not doing anything, 
just stopping on your own in silence, no worship, no music, no phone, no other people, not even going to your list of prayers, just pausing, just inviting the Spirit of God to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, I am thirsty for you. We long for more of you, Lord. Take up your space in me, Lord. Come fill me, Lord. Come fill us again. Come. And then we just be in his presence, listening to him, what he has to say, listening to his voice, which brings such peace, such joy, such depth, such beauty, such understanding, such fresh revelation, such joy, all the fruits, the Spirit. When we see Christ, when we listen to Christ, there is so much depth. Just sitting in the presence of God in silence and complete inactivity, giving our attention to Jesus, pouring the perfume of our lives over his feet. Think of it like sailing. We have no control over the wind. We can't make the wind blow. And we just hoist our sail, set it in the right direction, and wait. Wait for the Spirit of God to come and fill ourselves, fill our lives, and set us on a, on a voyage of discovering him and of great beauty and of hope. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. We worship a God who is alive and speak to us, who speaks to us daily. And so in this next week, as a church, we are going to be praying, not through a long list of prayers, but in the quiet, in the stillness, setting aside time and space to attend to the presence of the Almighty. And let's see what the Spirit of God will do. And in just in case it's helpful, here are a few practical things that might just help. Number one, the first thing is to recognize your personality, season, and stage. Taking time to be quiet and still in the presence of God is going to feel more or less natural, easier, or more difficult, depending to some extent on our personality, particularly whether we see ourselves as being more introvert or extrovert. Those of us who are introverts probably need lots of quiet, alone time, and so maybe you'll find this fairly easy and natural. For those of us who are extroverts, this might be more of a challenge, but we still need to recognize that we all need time alone. Another thing to consider in the way you're able to engage with the invitation to take time this week in quiet prayer is going to be shaped in your season of life you're in. Have you just had a baby? Are you about to just have a baby? Do you have small children? Are you working horrendous hours, 90 hours a week? 
But again, whatever season of life you're in, we all still need to take time to get away, to be with God and to sit in his presence. Jesus went time and time again to the quiet place. My point is, no matter what stage we're at, no matter what season we're in, no matter what personality preferences we have, we all need to intentionally carve out quiet time with God. Just find a way to do it that fits with where you are at. And don't feel the need to be comparing yourself with others. Two, a second encouragement would be to start small and go slowly. If we can all do this, if we just start small, start where we're at and don't try to rush it off, but instead just go slowly. If that means we start with just five minutes each day of every other day, that's great. Just start somewhere. Give yourself grace and move forward with Jesus. And slowly but surely, rather than seeing this as a chore, as an awkward disruption, we begin to see it as life-giving and transformative. And before we know it, we start sitting for longer in God's presence. Not because we've been told to, not because we ought to, not because we want to, because we long to. We long to sit in God's presence. Let our roots go deep. Let our tree be strong. Become those oaks of righteousness, full oaks of righteousness that the Lord is calling us all to be. A, thought, a third thought would be that this is all about practice, not performance. We need to come at this with the right heart. It's so easy for us to come all legalistic and religious. I need to do this. I need to do that. You, you only managed 20 minutes. Well, I did an hour. I'll do more. This isn't about trying to impress other people, or even worse, trying to impress God. Instead of focusing on our performance, let's come at this with a kind of practice-based, experimental heart and attitude. I don't know what this is going to be like for you. Maybe you'll love it, maybe you'll hate it, maybe it'll be easy easy for you. Maybe it'll be hard. Maybe you'll get hours in. Maybe you'll just be snatched a moment here and a moment there. And at the end of the day, it's all about our hearts. And we'll be all kinds of different places and spaces, and that's okay. Let's just give it a go and see what happens. And then lastly, think short and long. What I mean by that is, let's be thinking about doing silence and solitude for short periods of time on a regular basis. Just take a few moments every day, and if you feel like it may be a few times during the day, look for opportunities all through your day. A minute here, five minutes there, just to be quiet and still on your own with Jesus. Maybe it's as you make your coffee in the morning or on your way to work, in the on your way walking to, to the station, on your way to work. Just wherever and whenever we can, let's slow down for some time in God's presence. 
just you and God. So look for those short moments and then maybe start to build in longer times as, as and when you can. So you can carve out an hour or two or a day retreat, but we don't have to start there. Just let's start this week with a few minutes each day sitting quietly in silence. Not doing anything in particular other than being quiet in the presence of God. And let's see how it goes. For some of us, this could be the start of a whole new season of freedom and healing, of wonderful intimacy with Jesus. This pursuit of being still in God's presence, the quiet place, the solitary place, is the place where Jesus and countless numbers of his followers throughout history have found life with God. And this is a place where every single one of us here can find life with God too. But if we will but give it a go, so why don't we stand? <laughs>